0: tell stories so grand of this vast, timeless land, and they call it Sunday with Macca.
1: Good morning, Colin.
0: G'day, Macca. How are
1: you? Good. How's things in Caloundra?
0: Really good, about 17, 18 degrees at the moment. Bringing up about the mullet, just finished the mullet season after two months, sort of an, end of an era for the chaplains who've been doing it through the family for 110 years.
1: When the bloodwoods are in bloom, the mullet make their run. Now, that's usually around Anzac Day, so is that how long the mullet season is, two months?
0: You might be thinking down south. With here, it's July, August. And they catch the mullet for the row, or they catch the mullet for the mullet? Well, the mullet are the most used fish. They use everything in it. The rows exported. The head's and the frames, usually for mud crabs or go to cat food. They even use the scales for fertiliser. And they only catch mullet. There's no real bycatch there. You might get the odd brim or tailor. We got a couple of bull sharks. Pretty unusual about a month back. I think they only get about 8 percent of the mullet. Most of it goes out to sea and comes in up at Noosa and Maroochydore and that. They lay doggo up the creeks and estuaries and, and whatnot till their spawning starts to stir them up and that time of the year, July, August, is the time they, you know, get some going. Can I tell you this, Macca? I've still got my hair, I'm 73, but it was getting down to my shoulders so I thought, well, I'm doing the last mullet run with them and I went down to the hairdressers and got a mullet cut. And when I went into this hairdresser's, I said to the lady, I said, do you do mullets? She said, I did my apprenticeship to a mullet. (laughs) I couldn't believe the amount of people that commented on it. Yeah, back in fashion. If you're rich,
2: you ain't got a cracker.
0: They tell stories so grand of this vast, timeless land, and they call it Sunday with Macca. They all call it Sunday with Macca. Yeah, they all call it Sunday with Macca. Get on
1: with it, Macca. Will do. Good morning and welcome. Bit of uh, spring cleaning here. I'm growing a mullet. Uh, <laughs> I mean, we're just, my hair's just getting on at the back. It's not really a mullet in terms of fashion. It's a non-fashionable mullet. It's just all over the place. But I suspect everybody's hair's growing like that. But a small price to pay to get rid of the virus, I reckon. You can't go to a hairdresser at the moment, so um, I feel for hairdressers. But... Um, might give their fingers a rest, that's about the only good part of it, but um, yeah, I would just tuck it all under a cap and when I say all, I haven't got heaps of hair, but yeah. Anyway, good morning and welcome, 1300 700 that's our number, uh, lots of emails, i just get a bit of spring cleaning. Bev Behenna says, um, just a brief note, with a couple of photos of a family of wrens. Thursday, the 22nd of July, was our maximum of six degrees in Lindock. Um, and the coldest day in 32 years. These two females, um, or Mrs. Brown, as her four year old grandson calls them, that's the, the females, are browny colour, lovely, lovely dusky brown, aren't they? Huddled together under a chair on our back veranda. Felt sorry for them. I, lo- I know you love the wrens, as many people do. Well, we used to have them in our backyard. I had spine bills in my backyard, they had little robins and silver eyes and all sorts of things, but they're all gone. we have talked about it before. It's no good whinging and complaining, but it's just progress in the cities. We're not allowed to have those in the cities. Now, I know, yes, yes, we've got blue rents here, yeah, but right across the greater part of big cities, nothing nilch, zilch. The other thing I've noticed, of course, <clears throat> as I mentioned last week, that in lockdown, everybody walks their dog, which they never do, in normal times, the dogs stay at home. So a concomitant of that, of course, is that there's doggy-do all over the place, especially in my suburb of Lugano. People just don't pick it up. And some pick it up in plastic bags and then just hoik the plastic bag. <laughs> ah, we humans. We humans. Excuse me, Ian, says Charlie. Um I typed this because you wouldn't be be able to decipher my handwriting. This morning's broadcast was on subjects that made me recall my school days. Arbor Day was celebrated at West Epping School when I was there in the 40s. A tree was planted in a special area and two students were selected each week to water the tree. Arbor Day is to be celebrated in 2022. We're already making arrangements, are we? On the 29th of April, 2022. (laughs) Charlie, I didn't know that. Wattle Day was celebrated on the 1st of August with the singing of the bush was grey a week today, which we learnt in the weeks before, standing near a wattle tree in a special tree area. See, there's something wonderful about planting a tree, and I think, I know a lot of people aren't connected to the environment on, you know, trees or, you know, animals and stuff, but if you're not, I'll tell you what will be good for you, good for your soul, good for your mental health to just, yeah, maybe plant a tree and even in a little pot, whatever, planting a tree and watching it grow as the young rascal sings. Wonderful it is. You spoke about planting bush tucker plants in the garden, continues Charlie. Is there any room to plant a garden on today's housing blocks, let alone in a decent-sized shrub? Here in Orange, each new subdivision gets smaller and if there is a large block, they want to build two units. How can we sustain good, clean air with a new subdivision is started and every tree is removed and none replanted? In Orange especially, says Charlie. Maybe we need a community garden for bush tucker plants. It's a good idea, Charlie. It's a good idea. This is the All Over News. The amazing thing to me about lockdown is that we are still getting our food, tomatoes, lettuce, potatoes, oranges, you name it, you still find it in the shops and supermarkets of Australia, despite the lockdown, despite the fact that labour to do the hard yards is in short supply all over Australia. To help secure our food supply, there's thousands of workers from Pacific Island nations who have arrived in Australia. Carl Walker from Bowen in Queensland is a grower, and he'll tell you the story.
3: Good morning, Carl. G'day, Macca. How are you, mate? Good. You've got labour shortages up there? We've had labour shortages since last year, and this year hasn't been any better, and next year's looking even worse. Since August last year, we've had about 3,000 Pacific Islanders coming under that program. We're pretty lucky in Queensland because the Queensland government has an on-farm isolation as well, quarantine, which is quite tough, but it does allow us to get more in because hotel accommodation is very restricted and hard to get. Every single day we're short of people because see what happened, we used to rely a lot on backpackers and visa holders. Since this time last year, we've got about 100,000 less in the country. They reckon there's about 37,000 left out of about 150, 180,000 that are eligible to work, which is pretty scary. And, and And those ones worked in tourism, farming, right across the country and numerous things So it's basically 100,000 less people to do jobs that no one else seems to want to do.
1: And do you have to train them or?
3: No, no, they turn up and and some of them have done it before, most haven't. You show them what to do. Most of these kids are pretty smart kids, they're they're pretty educated.
1: And the Pacific Islanders?
3: Oh, Pacific Islanders, some of them have already been here before. Others, yes, you have to train them. But the Pacific Islanders, they're pretty good workers, eh? And, And they're not silly and they're consistent, turn up every day. They want to be here because they obviously they take money home to their families in the islands. That's the whole idea that the federal government set up as part of foreign aid by giving them a special visa to allow them to come and work so they could take money back to their their country. And I think over there someone told me that $1,000 will educate a child for a whole year. We're only allowed to get them off four islands. The four islands are pretty, there's no traceable uh, coronavirus there. And that's why that's a bit of a problem because those people that are now here, because we're having trouble... You know, New South Wales is a cot case, and Victoria and other, you know, but Civic Islands aren't allowing their people back at the moment, from what I'm told, which is pretty bad because a lot of these ones have been here a little while and they do want to go home. So that's going to be the next big thing, I think is yes, we've got them over here and they're working. But sooner or later they want to go back and see their families and, and that's becoming a, a problem because of the issues we're having here.
1: So would they do isolation here and then go home?
3: Look, I'll be honest with you, I'm not quite sure. I know we've got we've got to isolate them when they come here, which is which is bloody expensive. But to get an islander to come over here at the moment is somewhere between three and five thousand dollars per person by the time you pay all the airfares and pay the isolation costs, which is when you get a farmer who wants a hundred workers. Do the maths, it's costing us a fortune and and it's not sustainable.
1: So in terms of picking your capsicums, tomatoes and things like that, are you getting most of it off now?
3: Yeah, look, we've been pretty fortunate the last probably two, three weeks we've had unusually cold, mean temperatures. So nothing's really been growing really well. So because of our shorts of labour, we haven't really needed them. But now we're coming in September, October, which are our two busiest months. Our workforce needs to double and at the moment... We haven't got double the workforce, which it's, it's a bit scary. And obviously no one can travel. Normally you'd be getting people in, coming from New South Wales, Victoria, South Australia, getting away from the cold, coming up to Queensland. Well, they can't travel. So it's going to be a huge problem for us. And we need people that are in Queensland to come to Bowen, Gumloo, Burdekin, because obviously we've got work from now right through to Christmas. And, and the money's, money's good. Money's good. And, and, the, and we don't really have winter here. We complain about the cold temperatures, but a cold morning to us is like 10 degrees. I'm a veggie grower and that's our main occupation is growing veggies. We send stuff to New Zealand, um, Brisbane, Sydney, Melbourne, Adelaide, Perth. So, yeah, we, we supply... During the winter months, food to all of Australia, New Zealand and other parts of the world.
0: Carl,
1: in one of our little theme songs, there's a line that goes, there's stories and dramas in the life of a farmer. You give a new meaning to the phrase, uh, Australia's on the wallaby. Tell us about it.
3: Oh, yes. Last night, I was out checking water in, in the in the buggy, in the side by side, the little can am I've got. And in the corner of my eye oh, in the lights, I seen this wallaby coming screaming across the paddock. And I thought, Jesus Christ, he's, I'm going to get this bugger. And I tried to avoid him, but unfortunately, by trying to avoid him, he actually hit me. He he came through the side of the buggy and rammed into the side of me, squashed my shoulder, my arm. My arm's a bit sore today. I I actually thought I'd broken it because it was quite tingly and I'd lost feeling and it was quite a bit of pain. But I must have hurt him too because when he bounced off, he actually wobbled a bit. Which pleased me because, geez, I was in a lot of pain.
1: Was he a big but, fella? But I
3: managed, he was big enough. He was big enough. And um, I was just lucky. When I see him coming, I leaned forward and braced, expecting him to hit the front of the buggy. And because I did that, when he hit me, I was actually ready for it. Luckily, I'm six foot two, so I was able to cop a bit. But if he'd gotten the cab with me, I, I think I would have been in trouble because he would have been trying to get out. and I was doing about 60k an hour and I I, I wouldn't be able to get out. My wife working some accident prone and she's probably right, but I hope the wallaby had a sore leg this morning because I had a sore bloody arm.
1: Carl, good luck with your labour shortages for the next couple of months too and thanks for talking to us.
3: Yeah, look, hey, thanks, Manko. And just everyone around Australia, I know people can't travel, but look, go and eat your veggies. If you're in Queensland, if you want work, (laughs) come to Bowen, come to the Sundays, It's gorgeous here. We'd love to see you. There's plenty of work, plenty of money to be made. So come on up.
1: G'day, this is Maka. Hello. Hello, Maka. Yep.
4: Yeah,
2: how you going, Maka? Yeah, oh, good. Thank you. Uh, my name's Russell. Mhm. And yeah, I'm working. I'm from uh, Tennant Creek at the moment. Yep. Tell in me. In the Northern Territory.
1: Yep. Well, tell us your story, Russ.
2: Oh, um, I come from the Sunshine Coast in Queensland. Um, my brother was working up here at Targaroo Nursery for the Jewel I Carry Aboriginal Corporation um, and I decided to get away from the COVID and head to the middle of Australia.
1: What a good idea. So the Tagaro Nursery, what, uh, breeding plants, plant breeding or things like that or what's going on there?
2: Yeah, we've actually got a, um, a seed bank um, out there. Um, we we do native native plants. Um, we've also got a garden out there, vegetable garden. My brother looks after that. Um, yeah, so um, we we we're um, getting into bush medicine um, and bush tucker.
1: All interesting stuff, mate. All interesting stuff. So, Russell, how long you been out there?
2: Um, just twelve months
1: now, Maka. Twelve months, just twelve months. Well, and what's it like living in uh, Tennant Creek,
2: mate? I love it. I came up here in the early nineties and fell in love with the place, and it's finally taken me this long to get back here.
1: <laughs> well, it sounds lovely. Sounds lovely place to be, and and working with plants, especially native plants, which we know, well, we know a bit about, but you know, we're always learning things about, you know, things like bunya. Bunya nuts and things that you can cook with and, you know, wonderful bits of engineering and midgen berries and mate. all sorts of stuff.
2: Yeah, that's that's 100% correct. Yeah, I'm on, on learning. I'm on, on only, only sort of a preschooler at the moment with the learning. But, yeah, it's it's very, very, very interesting.
1: So you're going to stay there, you reckon, for a while, Russell?
2: Um, As long as I can, Macker, I I miss my my daughters and my grandkids so much, but um, at least I keep keep in touch with them on this new technology
1: thing. Yeah, well, good on you. Um, I'd love to see that sometime too, when we can travel again, which will happen sooner or later. Um, I'll get up there. I've got a, a list of places I need to go from people who call me here on Sunday morning, Russell yeah yeah
2: I've been listening to you for a fair while, Mac and mum and Dad used to listen or will still do um Mum's passed
1: on, but um
2: yeah I know Dad listens to you regularly it's re- it's a religion
1: well good on you Russell and uh good luck. what's it like in tenant this morning?
2: It's beautiful mate it's shorts and t shirt weather and oh, yeah sun's just, sun's just coming up it it's perfect mate perfect
1: good on you Russell good luck, mate.
2: keep in touch thanks very much. Thanks very much, Maka. Can I just say good day to my dad, Colin? Yeah. Good on Thank you. Thank you very much, Maka. Have a good day. Bye. Thanks, Ross.
5: Yeah, good day, Macker. It's Angus with a turtle story from Mornington Island, but I'm actually in Alice Springs right now.
1: There so you go. Tell us, Angus. We've been talking turtles this morning. Talk, 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 talk well, turtle.
5: That's a that's a, wonder well, what that <laughs> saying means.
1: Talk turtle. Yeah. Anyway, go on. Sorry.
5: Well, uh, yeah, I don't know what that means, but I'll have a thing about it. But, uh, Judith Felton from Denham Island was my boss and she was the chairperson of the Wellesley, uh, Aboriginal, Wellesley Island Aboriginal Corporation, probably in 2000, yeah, about 2000. So I got hired as the chair, as the manager. And she said one day, why don't you take these fellas, she's indigenous, she said the World Wide Fund for Nature or World Wildlife are doing a turtle conference in Darwin. Could you take a few of the turtle hunters? to darwin i said yeah that's a great idea so we lined them up we had aussie escott he was one of my workers anyway because i did a lot of building work and chris look and off we went in a bander anti mac air and as the hostie came down the aisle she was giving us what i thought were minties, but they were green earplugs <laughs> so the noise of that bander they called it the flying cigar we get to cairns and i think this is where the story starts. We had to get on an international flight from Cairns to Darwin. Nobody in immigration, none of the fellas I was with even had a driver's license, let alone a passport. And I was the only, I had a passport and I had a driver's license. And I somehow got all the fellas on the plane and off in Darwin. And they. the point of the turtle story was they hunt turtle to eat them. You know, Yep. that's all they're after. They need the meat. And I think years ago, Australian government made the wrong decision because they sent choppers up everywhere shooting cattle that hadn't been tested for TB and brucellosis. So same at Mornington. They had had probably over 700 cattle all shot by choppers. So they were, they'd run out of meat overnight. And it's funny because um, Molly and Matt Clark down at Andado had the exact same thing happen to them. They had 750 fat steers all ready to come into the yard. They were one day late. And the Australian government, in their program to eradicate TB and brucellosis, shot the whole lot of them. This is unbelievable. That's what was happening in those days. But um, back to the turtle story, I think um, the, the turtles were never overhunted because it was so hard to get them. You go out in a boat. You've got your long turtle spear. That's from the Warumpi Band song, My Island Home. And then good luck to you. Chuck this spear and the tip of it comes off. It's called a wop. It's embedded in the shell, but it, it just sticks with a line back to the boat, and you can sort of pull the turtle in. But some of them are so heavy, they'd be over probably 300 pounds.
1: Yeah, that's the that's story. Angus, um, what do you do in Alice Springs?
5: Well, I'm running for mayor. Um, <laughs> that, that's all over on Saturday. And then I'm an architect and a, an artist, and my daughter, who's... Her mum's from Mornington Island. She's just headed off to Brisbane, and she's she showed me a photo from her, her apartment. She's level thirty-six in a tower in Brisbane. Wow. So she's my campaign manager.
1: <laughs> I see, and obviously can't travel to Alice Springs.
5: No, that's right. But I think you know, when we got FaceTime, we've got um, all sorts of communication. It's pretty good. I mean, we used to FaceTime each other, and we're still in the house. It's a big old house that. Um, was built for the warden of the jail in those days, 1939. They had to attract someone who wanted a you know a big fancy house with three chimneys and all that. So we've FaceTimed each other while we're still in the house, which is it sounds backward, but that's what we do.
1: Yeah, all right, Angus. Nice to talk to you. A turtles, up, yeah. Somebody's rang because I'd never tasted turtle meat, but somebody says very, oh. very strong. They said.
5: Yeah, so, yeah, I tell you, they used to give me the flippers, and so I'd bake them. And then when you pull the skin off, the scary thing is the meat falls off. Beautiful, beautiful meat. And there's what looks like a human hand. All the bones, you've got the same thumb and four fingers as a human hand. So way back when, we were all related. <laughs> beautiful not... meat. and eh?
1: go going. Keep going. I'm listening.
5: Yeah, it's beautiful meat. And my dad, when he worked in London, they used to have turtle soup at fancy restaurants, and they'd be in tins. Uh, it'd be tin turtle soup, and it would have a lot of sort of green and glutinous. I don't think it was fat. They all said it was fat, but it was like the juice was so thick that um, if it ever went cold, you know, you'd almost cook, say it was a consomme. It was like a jellied soup.
1: Yeah, well, I've had various reports about it. That's another one. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure if I want to eat it or not, but I like turtles, so I'll probably I'll probably spare I tell you. Well,
5: I tell, you, I tell you, the other thing that's quite good, and I'm not trying to promote the eating out, but Jumanji Yunapingu and I in, um, at Ski Beach one day sat down and ate 146 turtle eggs on our own. And he had cooked them all up. They're like eating a ping pong ball with something inside.
1: Mm.
5: Wow. But um, the, I better not talk too much about it because the more... T- oh, and the other thing, we put a bounty on wild pigs because they were digging up the eggs. And I said, I'll pay anyone $10 to shoot a wild pig and give me the evidence. And what they did is they would take the jaw after they cooked the pig with all the teeth on it and the tusks, and then they'd paint them. I've still got them. I'd pay $10 out of my pocket for anyone who could kill a wild pig because I believe they were destroying a lot of the turtle nests. They were digging them up and eating the eggs. I think it will do it too. On the beach. On the beach, yes. Yeah. Although I'm not sure how they would ever find it. You know, there might have been one or two eggs that, had been flooded and it might've got a bit smelly. So the pig could know it was there and dig it up. But you, you know how this is national bee week. Yep. Well, we have in town, we got the most pollen blowing through Alice. Everyone's sneezing and coughing. And the real cure is not, Is not to go to the doctor. You try and get local honey. And as soon as you start eating the local honey, your body says, Hey, this is our friend. And they don't produce an- antibodies. You stop sneezing. And you're eating the hot honey made from what was otherwise your enemy. I just got to say that to people who are suffering from um, really bad hay fever. Try and get some local honey, and it'll fix you up within a day. There you go. And eat it. Yeah, don't rub it on anywhere.
1: Angus, I'll see you in the Alice sometimes. Nice to talk to you.
5: Thanks, Macca. Bye. Bye.
1: Rob's in West Canning. Is that right, Rob?
6: Yeah, West Canning Basin.
1: Yep. Where's that for everybody else? Uh,
6: north of Pardoo Station in Western Australia.
1: And where's that for everybody else? <laughs>
6: uh, so Pardoo Station is uh, approximately 100 hundred kilometres north of Port Hedland.
1: Right. Yep.
6: And we're working at West Canning Basin, which is approximately another 100, 130 and thirty kilometres north of Pardoo Station. Yeah, I think we On went a... to pa... we
1: went to Pardoo. We went to the Roadhouse, Pardoo Roadhouse. Um, yeah. So, yeah.
6: We passed up this morning. Yep. And
1: so what are you doing up there, Rob?
6: Uh we're working on a um pipeline project for FMG for Twiggy. Right. Um, basically yeah, taking fresh water out of the ground and pumping it pumping it down to one of his mine sites a little further down south. Um quite an interesting project actually. Why? Um well it's just, just the, the, the processing that they're doing down in uh, iron ore, well the iron ore processing down at Iron Bridge. Um, yeah, they're going to be turning it in rather than training it from um, the mine site. They're going to be turning it into a slurry and and uh, sending it to Port Hedland by the slurry.
1: Oh, I see. Um,
6: and yeah, so we're we're basically working up north where all the water's coming from. So um, yeah, it's quite an interesting project.
1: So then they put the slurry in the boat, I suppose. Do they straight onto the boat? No. Nah,
6: well, well, then there's another processing plant at the at the port. Um, how they turned it turned it into all there, I'm not sure, but yeah, they they um, take all the water out of it, and, exactly. Yeah.
1: Drain the water, and then you've yeah. got yeah, yeah. But,
6: but so it's quite a interesting.
1: Quick, quicker way to transport it, I suppose, with water down a down a tube, a, a bit like a conveyor belt, really, isn't it?
6: Yeah, that's right. So, not exactly sure how it all works, but um, <laughs> yeah, it's a very very interesting
1: like me with maths. Uh Rob yeah. tell t- t- tell me this where are you from?
6: Uh so I'm originally from Melbourne but I've moved over to Dongra in Western Australia. Mm. Um and I've yeah, worked FIFO flying up flying up north for FMG.
1: So yeah, so you fly in fly out.
6: That's right, yeah. Yeah.
1: And what's your particular uh, yeah. job Rob?
6: Uh so we're a test pumping crew. Mm. Um basically we we uh yeah, take take down data um, and give it back to the back to the mine sites to let them know how much water they can pump out of the ground at what rate and what the water quality's like.
1: Now, t- you tell me this this morning. You said you drove past Pardew, um Roadhouse. A lot of people there. A uh, um, lo- um, lot, lot of, of people p- on the road. What?
6: Oh no, we so we're on the road at five o'clock in the morning. There's not not a lot at that time of morning, but. Mm. Um, it, yeah there is I mean obviously you've got your trucks and stuff, but yeah, no. the caravanners and stuff don't normally head head out until the sun comes up, so
1: yeah and but I suppose yeah, well, you're not locked down in western Australia, which is uh, wonderful, I think it'd be uh, nice to yeah. be able to travel around and go to wherever you want to go um, yeah that's right but um so you'll you fly in and fly out, but you're within Western Australia.
6: Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So has that changed? So,
1: uh, has changed your work team? I mean, were there? Did you have workers from other states who can't fly in now?
6: Oh, there is. There is on the mine spot. There is, but they're normally. Uh, well, they stay. They actually stay in Perth at the moment because. Um, yeah. Otherwise, if they head over to East, yeah. they won't get back over. Basically, so a lot of them, yeah, they just stay in Perth yeah. while the pandemic's down, and yeah. It's- what an interesting, interesting thing,
1: yeah, I'll say, Robbie, um, I wish I was uh with you. It'd be nice to because <laughs> we it seems like we haven't you know, nobody's traveled, but you know it's nice the next best thing is to talk to someone like you, rob is the wood days getting warm over there, I suppose
6: yeah, it's about thirty five degrees here every day at the moment the the mornings are, are slightly cool, but um yeah, by lunchtime she's warm, so yeah, it's not bad,
1: <laughs> good on you, Rob, keep in touch, nice to talk. Good
6: on. Thanks, Marcus.
1: See you, mate. See you, mate. Annie's in Young. Annie, best things. good morning, Annie.
7: Hi, Ian. How are you?
1: Oh, I'm good, thank you. How's things That's in good. Young?
7: Very quiet, I'm afraid, yep. unfortunately. But it's a beautiful, beautiful day. Not a breath of wind, and lots of birds in the garden, and just beautiful and sunny. I think about 22 today.
1: Yes, we we um, we went to your place, didn't we? When we did our program in Young, uh, was that you ten, ten years ago, at least more? Might
7: have, might be more. I've been in business nineteen years, so uh-huh. be beyond that macker. So it's a long time ago, it, but about, uh, we
1: loved having you. About two thousand, I think, around about that time. Yeah, the year two thousand. Might 2000, have been, not sure. Twenty yeah. years ago. Yes. Yeah. Time so what's, flies. What's happening, Annie? Um, how are country towns doing, like Young?
7: Well, we were doing really well, um, but now, of course, with this lockdown and all the people doing what they're doing, it's making life very difficult and uh, the supermarkets and things are open and the, and the shops that are selling requirements are open, but everything else is closed. So it's really like a ghost town um, most of the time and very sad for businesses that they can't open and we do get a lot of people travelling through and because we're only an hour 50 from Canberra we used to get a lot of people from Canberra for the day or a weekend or whatever mm. so it's impacted the whole community And uh, but the one thing that we're lucky with is that we've got freedom because we can walk around our garden and um, enjoy the trees and the birds and see the stock in the paddocks. So yep. that must be very difficult for people when they're locked into a small space and can't get out. But at least we can uh, not have to wear a mask at home and we can walk around and enjoy the garden and be with the animals and just um, live live each day in a nice way.
1: Yes, and well, they just yeah, we just have to get on with it. I'm, as I said, I don't know what it was like during the Second World War, but I know they didn't have petrol and you had to... You couldn't drive around and you couldn't do anything. So, um, and everybody you know, well, gave, gave their saucepans and kettles if they could spare them for metal for, for the war effort. And you just take one for the team, don't you? And you have to do it. You and do. Sooner or later. And when,
7: and when I travel from here into town, um, there's hardly a car. There are some cars on the road, but mainly lots and lots of trucks and of course with all the wet we're having a fantastic season we've had wonderful rain so i think that the orchards should do well this year and also the crops but um the roads are being impacted because of all the wet weather and so they're breaking up and very difficult to drive on because there's lots of potholes and but, um, you know, in the war effort of the past years, the women came to the fore, didn't they, often on the land?
1: Exactly. The
7: men were off at war and the women pitched in and helped and everyone worked together.
1: VADs so, and all that sort of stuff, yeah. And the...
7: Absolutely. So, But I think we're so lucky to live in a, in a country like Australia, even though we've got this problem at the moment. It is a wonderful country with wonderful people who do look out for each other.
1: Yeah, exactly. And are you are you in business? Are you in, in the town of Young?
7: Yes, I've always had a background in small business and tourism, but for the last 19 years, I've had my own giftware business and, uh, and, um, in, in Young, and uh, it's a fantastic community. My mother actually moved from Sydney, from Cremorne, at the age of 86 to young, well. and uh, <laughs> didn't know anybody, was never home, died at 94, and the church was full. So it was a most magnificent community, just wonderful people. And I mean, Kuranda and all the other, all the country towns are fantastic, and they all have really good points of interest and strengths. Uh,
1: what's the, uh, and it's also the strength just as much as the big capitals of melbourne and sydney and brisbane country towns are the strength and heart and soul of, and spirit of australia they really are and and you can
7: absolutely t- and also all the produce that's provided and grown yep. and there are pe- many people doing lots of things that are very interesting in the country and it was wonderful before the pandemic to see people travelling around into these smaller communities and keeping us afloat
1: yeah well,
7: so we do, we do miss it and so it's a worry with no income coming in and all the bills going out. It'll <laughs> and of course people aren't working. They
1: n- can't work. No, it'll return. So it's a great worry. Yeah, it is. It a will. Great
7: way. And hopefully we'll be stronger than ever, Macca.
1: Exactly. I think so. I think so. Good on you, Annie. I hope to see you soon. Good on you, Macca.
7: See Thank you. you. Bye.
8: bye Hey, Macca. My name's Adrian. I'm I'm from Papua New Guinea and
1: Oh Is that and that's where you are this morning, Adrian?
8: Yes, yes, yeah. sitting here at work, watching our, sh- our ships getting loaded.
1: Tell me all about it.
8: Um, well, we've got, I work for a family business, been here 10 years in Laid. Um and um, we've got about 18 vessels that go around the whole of Papua New Guinea carrying cargo, and obviously we're an essential services company. So, um, yeah, so we're responsible for the transport of all the containers around the country.
1: There you go. Well, that would be an interesting job, wouldn't it? And you'd, uh, a vital job, especially in a time like this, Adrian.
8: Yes, yes, that's right. So we've got a weekly service that goes from Leigh to Port Moresby, and then Port Moresby back to Lay, and and all the New Guinea Islands and um, all around the place.
1: Now, tell me this, Adrian. How is the COVID uh, being handled in um, in in Lay and in PNG generally?
8: Uh, pretty good, Macker. Actually, with I've I've been um, fully vaccinated. So and just got my second shot uh, just last week, actually. So um, with um, with the the locals are pretty hesitant to get the jab, um, which and we're, but we're encouraging everyone to do it. Um, being an essential service company, um, you know we, we must encourage everyone to get it done. Uh, the problem that we have here is is the um, you know the ac- accuracy of the numbers because we're simply not doing the tests. So um, you know if we need a test here in Papua New Guinea, we have to pay for it, and it's very expensive.
1: Yeah. Now tell me the the ships or are, are they ships or barges that you send round the coast?
8: Uh, we've got several larger vessels that carry. You know, one of our vessels can carry up close to three hundred containers. Um, and we've got a, a fleet of barges also that do charter work, um, you know, for, 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 for other job construction jobs and things like that.
1: Oh, gee, that'd be a fascinating... Wouldn't that be a wonderful thing for a bloke like me or anyone to travel around the coast of New Guinea delivering and stopping in various places? And I bet you the, when the boats come in, uh, everybody comes down to see it. Is that right?
8: Yeah, yeah. Well, we've got lots of staff here, obviously, because we load. The, we've got our own wharf facility here, so we load all all the containers on the ships ourselves. So all our staff are responsible for loading the ship. Um, it's a fairly big operation, um, and um, during these times, things have slowed down a little bit. Um, but you know, it's 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 fairly busy all the time because our vessels leave our wharf. You know, we have three or four vessels. That can leave up to every week, so very busy. I'm I'm the marketing manager, so it's my job to get the containers in.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Adrian, how did you how did you end up in Lay? Um, how did how long have you been there?
8: Uh, well, I've been in Papua New Guinea for about close on seventeen years. Um, I started off in Port Moresby. I worked for actual um, a, um, a a car company in in um in Port Moresby for about six or seven years and then i got another job and then i've i've moved over to lay so yeah so and i've been backwards and forwards to australia working for several car dealerships back back home so that's how i started my job yeah um selling cars in in port Moresby.
1: <laughs> and adrian what's it like there this morning in you're in lay this morning are you down on the on the wharf
8: yeah yeah i'm on the wharf here um um it's it's been rain. We get a lot of rain um, every night. It, it virtually rains at seven o'clock every night, and 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 we can have you know several inches you know every, every night. Um, this morning though it, it was light drizzle, but now the sun's starting to come out, and you know it'll be thirty thirty three or thirty four degrees every day. So
1: there you go. Good on you, Adrian. Great to talk to you, mate. Thanks for ringing.
8: Yeah, you too, mate. Have a good day. Eh? See ya. See ya. Bye. Bye.
1: As is my want, I've been delving through our archives. I've got a wonderful little archive of this program with absolute gems, and you might have heard some this morning. And they prove the old adage of Ray Parkin, you know, if you forget your past, you've got Alzheimer's. And my favourite, one of the people that's etched in my brain is a lady called Chloe Muller, and she was in South Australia. And I don't think I ever spoke to her, but she wrote to me. Not prolifically, but she wrote to me. And here's another letter which I've just found in my file of listeners' letters that never went to air. And I think to myself, why the hell didn't I put this to air? I suppose because I was much younger then, 30 years ago as a younger boy and had no sense, I suppose. Or maybe it was because we had 150 to 200 letters a week and they take a lot of reading and just filing apart from doing all the other things. But anyway, better late than never, and I think you'll be... What a lovely lady, I wish I'd have met her, she's just, I love Chloe Muller, I'll tell you, she wrote this in July 87, in 1987 from Ceduna, she said, Dear Ian, on a recent Australia Relover program you interviewed Dr Marion Amies about the collection of printed material which is being compiled for the bicentennial year, the bicentennial, do you remember that? Anyway, she says, I was delighted to hear her mention A.G. Bolam, B-O-L-A-M, the station master at Olday, and later Tarkula, on the transcontinental railway line in the 20s and 30s. Now, you'll find those if you have a look at your map. Olday and Tarkula. Mr. Bolam, A.G. Bolam, was the author of a fantastic little book called Trans-Australian Wonderland, which was used as a textbook in New South Wales schools in the 30s and I believe was reprinted recently in W.A., This astute and far-sighted station master has provided a quite amazing account, indeed the only one ever to be written, about this exciting area on the edge of the Nullarbor Plain, which is at last to be considered for World Heritage listing, and not before time, says Chloe. As a non-scientific person, his accurate collections of rainfall data, daily temperature readings and general field observations of both plants and animals have proved invaluable to science. The South Australian Museum has numerous specimens of now extinct, or almost so, native animals, which this man collected and sent almost 60 years ago for the use of future generations. Indeed, I quote from The Mammals of South Australia by Frederick Wood Jones, DSC, parts 1 to 3. It has remained for Mr A. G. Bolam of Uldee to preserve such specimens as came into his hands to this gentleman south australia is indebted for preservation of specimens acquired knowledge and the keeping of records of the native fauna and the native tribes made known and about to be exterminated by the passage of the railway amongst these specimens were the bilby the desert mouse and the golden marsupial mole as well as numerous others chloe continues today at all day is it all day or all day i'm not sure anyway i'll call it all day Today at Old Day there is very little left of that small railway community, a few wooden studs where the houses were removed, the station name, the desalination plant, an old bread oven, and of course the stone and brass memorial to that other remarkable old day character, the late Mrs. Daisy May Bates, rumoured to have once been the wife of that other larger than life character, Breaker Morant. Let's not talk about him. Indeed, it would seem fitting in the coming bicentennial year, remember, Chloe's writing this in 1987, that some acknowledgement of A.G. Bolum should also be made at that lonely place. Today it is only the occasional train passenger or driver who stops for a quick look, or the local Maralinga people who travel through on their way to the Oak Valley outstation, a a rabbit shooter, or the four-wheel drive fan passing through. Like so many of those lonely outposts, all day is just a place on the map forgotten except perhaps for those who once lived there working on the railways says chloe muller what a lovely we went to oak valley we did our program in oak valley many years ago oh, when i say many years probably 2000 and something 2004 or 5 and we've been to all day on the we we broke down we had a flat couple of hundred meters from all day oh i wish i'd have met chloe i wish she was still around she passed away i think a couple of years ago but just a great gal just like my mum
4: Ian, Phil Bradford, Solomon Islands. G'day, Phil. Um, quick one, j- just to let you know and let the world know, a very old um, resident of the Solomon Islands from Australia, Joan Gordon, passed away this week in Australia. Joan came to the Solomons with her husband, Bob, in the very early 50s and uh, had plantations with the Russells on No Island and Malata and all sorts of things. Joan retired from here as the manager of a uh, local shipping company, but she was highly respected and um, highly appreciated by a lot of people. I know um, Frank Jansen in um, Thailand is probably listing People in New Zealand, Australia, everywhere would remember um, Joan. So that's what I rang for.
1: Phil, tell me, uh, tell me this: uh, you've been in the Solomons for a long time.
4: For, I mean to be forty-fourth year.
1: Wow. And tell me, I usually ask people who are in from overseas, although we don't get a lot of overseas calls. Well, not as much. We get, we, certainly we get them, but we don't get them as much. How's the COVID, uh, what's happening there in, in the Solomons with COVID and things?
4: We, we haven't had a COVID case in public. There's been cases in quarantine, but we've had no uh, COVID cases actually in the streets. So we're actually a COVID-free country. I oh, think uh, Vanuatu, our neighbour, is also COVID-free. And um, the biggest problem is that myself, like a lot of other people, I've got our partners in Australia or New Zealand, and we can't get back and forward like we used to. We would commute two or three times a year. And uh, be a Solomon Islanders sort or of, uh, Caucasian or other origin, we um, have our partners overseas. I haven't seen my wife and since um, March last year. She lives in Brisbane with one of my daughters, and... Um, Myself, and my other daughter live up here and at
1: running the company. Yeah. Well, I suppose in some ways it's a, a happy accident. In lots of ways, I mean, for people locked down in Australia um, and um, being told we have to live with COVID for whatever that means. I suppose wearing masks. As a, a lady professor I heard the other day said, living with COVID will mean you will still have to m- wear masks in certain situations, and you will still there will still be lockdowns in certain situations. So, um, yes. While you've got it, Phil, I yeah I can only imagine what it's like to walk around outside and uh, whatever. But we'll get through this. We're,
4: we're lucky. We're lucky these days with things like um, Skype and Viber. At least when you're talking to your partner, you can see see them and um, chat a bit. It's better than just having a voice. But it's still a long time between drinks.
1: But uh, if you're in lockdown territory where you can't go to the barbers, you don't want to see people, um, Phil. <laughs> there's <laughs> hair sticking out all over.
4: Yeah, and the girls—I haven't got the, any, and I don't think it'll worry my wife.
1: No, the girls are beside <laughs> themselves; they can't go to the beautician or the, yeah, the stylist. As yeah. I said, you just get rejected. But anyway, it'll it'll all change. It'll it'll be just yeah. a it'll be a fond memory, Phil.
4: Yeah, it's all right. I mean, we're doing all right up here. We're struggling away. The weather's not too bad at the moment. But, um, anyway, that's what I rang for. Joan and Bob Gordon were. Very good old friends, and we we'll get it. There's a lot of us gone now, so I think I'm get worried. I'm getting to the top of the ladder; it might fall off the top. <laughs> but um, I'm only seventy-three. How long's the but, flight uh, from,
1: say, Brisbane or Sydney to um to the Solomons? What's the capital there?
4: Honiara. Honiara, and it's it, it's almost the same time as Brisbane, to Cairns. Mm-hmm. We're just a little bit uh, east of Brisbane, We're almost due north of Brisbane. The Cairns you fly up the coast and. If you, uh, swing it, draw a straight line, it's almost the same time, about an hour and three quarters.
1: And is there surf um, there or only out on the reefs?
4: No, there's, depending on where you go, there's some very, very good surfing spots and pre-COVID, um, the surfing, uh, tourism industry was starting to pick up back at Gizo Island and places like that. The, uh, surfers loved it. There was a young pilot up here that used to bring all his mates up and, um, domestic pilot and, uh, He used to bring all his mates up and there's a few places they used to go to, Pologian places, and they loved it. But um, a lot of it's covered and protected by reefs and other islands. But um, there's some good things to see, good fishing. There was supposed to be a fishing competition in one of the resorts this weekend, but we've had so much rain it was cancelled. So uh, I don't know what they're going to do about it. But, yeah, a couple of my guys were going to go over to it. But, yeah, so that's what the Solomons is like. But um, well, a lot of people do listen to you over here because we get uh, Radio Australia on FM. And um, I know a lot of people around the world, they'll send me emails, oh, we heard you on, we heard you, we heard you, <laughs> and, uh, including well, my sister at Cairns. Yeah. So, um,
1: <laughs> well, thanks for the news, Phil. And, uh, yeah, I'll maybe see you in Solomons sometime, sometime.
4: <laughs> but, uh, no, I'm always around.
1: Give us a call. Thanks, right. mate. Thanks, Phil.
9: Oh, hi, my name's Gail, Gail Walton. I'm the author of Hootity Hoot. Um, but I'm ringing, um, Ian, because I heard your conversation with the lady, Miss Lee, is it the lady who was talking about the wombats? Yes. Yeah. Um, and and uh, she talked about the story of the wombats helping other animals, other species...
1: In the bushfires. ...during the
9: bushfires yep. last year. Yep. Well, it, it is indeed a true story, and the wonderful Jackie French... Lives in that area of, of uh, New South Wales down the south coast, mm. and she wrote a beautiful book called The Fire Wombat. The Fire and Wombat. And it's all about the wombat um, helping fellow creatures in that area. So it's a uh, and, and what I was saying to your Lee was that both my book, uh, The Powerful Al Hootity Hoot, and Jackie's book. Um, Especially this week. This week, I don't know whether you know it's Book Week. Do You know that, Ian?
1: No, I don't. I do now. Yeah,
9: <laughs> I need to get um, out more, girl.
1: The, yeah. Anyway, go on. Yeah.
9: <laughs> but books are a saving grace. But um,
1: I'll say the I'll theme say.
9: this week is other world, old worlds, new worlds, other worlds. That's the theme, and I think, as I'm saying to the that trying to just control the things that we can rather than the things we cannot.
7: Exactly. Your words
9: this morning have been very emotive for me, Ian, you, and um, I thank you for, yeah. for all of that. So I'm going to have a look at your I'm book.
1: Sa- I'm, I've got a fly because yeah, we're I'm coming Yeah, what I'm saying
9: out. is for Quick. all the children out there, all the p- grandparents who are separated from their children because they're interstate, exactly. Get them a these book. beautiful books.
1: Got to go. Thanks, Gail. In Valmaine, the state, wherever you are. Thanks for the cards and letters. Stay tuned on ABC Local Radio.
9: You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio, and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.